Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available, unprospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. My apologies, we're getting a little bit of a late start here today. We tried to uh, turn this into a, a video uh, show and, and forgot about the radio part, so we got a little, little behind here today, but uh, we're off and running now. So in case you're tuning in for the first time to the Talent Talk radio show, this show really features a wide range of guests who are uniquely talented and uh, also really care about talent. So on this show, we look to explore the two different meanings uh, of talent there. First, as it relates to uncovering the success of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders and recruiters really try to find the best candidates today. So hopefully you see how it works. We use uh, those two different meanings there for the word talent and really try to explore uh, what that means in the business world and uh, how we can learn from it. My guests generally include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and uh, consultants, coaches uh, from all different types of industries. And generally what happens is I'm out at networking events and industry conferences, and I have the privilege of meeting some of these inspiring leaders. And instead of me having this uh, nice one-on-one conversation, we decided to create this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will you know, impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget, you can submit your questions via Twitter right now. Just tweet at uh, peopleg2 and use the hashtag talent talk. That's the little uh, the number sign and then the word talent talk all together without a space. Uh, my producer Mike will try to feed me the best questions. You can also, um, you know, have you can suggest questions. You can ask things if you don't understand something. Sometimes we use a. Uh, acronyms or big words that uh, maybe are very industry specific. So anything you want to ask, send it our way. With that being said, let me get today's show started. Uh, My guests today are Carla Porter. She's a director of programming development and marketing at the ARC uh, uh, Lutheran County, as well as the uh, principal at uh, Carla Porter Human Capital. And also Steve Danley, he's the chief human resources officer of the County of Orange, uh, here where we're located. Uh, and Steve will be joining me in the second half of the show. So let me get to my first guest. Carla, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe what you did before you joined your company, and then, of course, you know what you're doing now. Well, for many years I worked internationally, uh, mainly in nonprofits. I have a, also a military background. After I returned to the United States in 2001, I switched gears a little bit and, and went corporate and worked in uh, recruitment, human resources, operations management, and then went on to work for, I'm, I'm in northeastern Pennsylvania, I went on to work for the Greater Wilkes-Barre Chamber uh, of Commerce, Business, and Industry uh, as their Director of Workforce Development and Human Resources. This is kind of a regional, it's a large county we live in. Um and then uh, through a really interesting series of events, principally uh, would say uh, economic downturn and uh, downsizing of the economic development wing of the chamber, 
uh, I was very fortunate to have an offer of what was supposed to really be a contract, a consulting contract with the Arc of Luzerne County uh, to develop workforce development and work readiness programs for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities and autism actually turn into such a, a demanding um, project and client um, that I was brought on as a full-time internal consultant. And I then do uh, consulting through my own human capital and new media management um, externally, you know, apart from that. So that's where we're at. So as that director of program development and marketing, your, your work with ARC has been, you said, designing a program for people who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, you, you mentioned even, you know, autism being one of those. So uh, you teach them a lot about the skills that they're needed as they move out into the workforce. Maybe you can share some of the rewards and challenges that have come along with this type of, of work. Absolutely. It was very interesting to design this program from the ground up and then work on the implementation, execution of it. And we're about to see our first students graduating um, their two-year program, which we run through community college uh, in in May. So we're about to see the fruits, first fruits of our labor. I think the rewards are numerous, helping people who never thought that they would attend college, uh, especially as a traditional college student, and to reach their dreams of greater independence through work. They all have the goal that they want to work. Uh, helping people through social skills training learn how to be able to have water cooler conversations in an employment situation inside of a company. Um, oftentimes, people that have these types of developmental disabilities, they uh, they have challenges in the social skills area, and so it's their interpersonal skills need a lot of uh, additional support and development for them to be able to feel like they fit in and have those water cooler conversations. That's definitely one of our goals, for them to be uh, comfortable and welcome in their place of employment and to feel that way. Because we know that, of course, that leads to greater uh, retention, job retention, uh, and job satisfaction. And also being able to help uncover competencies, aptitudes, abilities, skills, and preferences um, for a great career match. So those are just some, that's just a very high-level overview of these rewards. They are phenomenal. Yeah, that, that sounds remarkable, I mean, to, to put a program like that together, because there are some things out there for people who maybe are um, severely uh, challenged in, in a particular way, but then there's some other people that are maybe somewhere in between, and, and, they, and they need help as well. I mean, someone who may have Asperger's or autism in that, that spectrum really does come to mind that, you know, with some, some great training, it sounds like you guys are providing, can really help them be a part of an organization, feel good about themselves, contribute to society, you know, be self-sufficient. And uh, those are really important things that, um, you know, can really make a big difference in somebody's life and, and their family's life. Absolutely. It's been so interesting for me. Um, you're right. There are a lot of programs out there which oftentimes would be called day programs or possibly sheltered workshops for individuals with significant disabilities. But the individuals in this particular program, which is called the Transition to Community Employment or the TRACE program, are um, Asperger's or ASD uh, with autism spectrum disorder, but on the higher functioning end of that, 
or um, in the mild range of intellectual or developmental disability. And they have the same needs, wants, desires, goals, dreams that everyone else has. And these include the American dream of the white picket fence. They want a job. They want to be able to buy what they want to buy. They want to be responsible, and they don't want to live their life on on the couch collecting government benefits when they can go out and earn it on their own. They're all about that. So it's really cool. Well, and that's great. I know you also kind of do you know, more than that. So maybe we focus in on your consulting work, too, um, in that uh, with the strategic human capital management. So can you talk a little bit about this and what some of those challenges are that you've seen in, in companies that you look to strengthen? Typically, I work with small to mid-sized businesses. I help them identify where there can be entrepreneurial opportunities within inside of their companies. Also, hiring from within versus externally and the challenges associated with that. So, for example, so many companies promote the fact that they hire from within, they promote from within, but there are inherent challenges oftentimes, if, especially for a small to mid-sized company that may not have the internal, uh, the structure internally for training newly promoted individuals, uh, their management programs and things like that. A lot of the large companies have exceptional programs, but the smaller ones um, may not have that. And so oftentimes when they uh, promote from within, they're hiring, well, they're promoting people who may have done an exceptional job at the position that they had. They hire them into a management position, Mm -hmm. and now they have a person who has all kinds of knowledge. Their knowledge base is phenomenal, but their management skills uh, can be lacking. And everything from having difficulties now managing individuals who a few days ago were their peers to understanding the larger corporate goals and missions, there are a lot of elements to this. And this can this can actually be a weak point instead of a strong point. So understanding that and how to work with it, because it is a good idea to it is a good idea to reward people and hire people from within, but there needs to be a balance. Uh, also, succession planning, the brain avoiding the brain drain, having individuals who worked for your organization for a really long time, holding that knowledge capital and leaving with it, and Wait. not having a good plan in place. You don't want that one week transition period where all of a sudden they try to do this brain dump on the whole department or the whole right. company or on it, someone coming in. Um, and that, that doesn't usually work out well. Well, and you're talking so, about a lot of issues here that we, we tend to think about big companies doing well or at least having a plan for They may not be doing it well, but they're at least trying to address it. And these are really issues that for small and medium-sized companies – can be killers because mm-hmm. you here you want to promote internally, but like you said, you have someone who maybe is the best salesperson. Do you really want them to be a sales manager when they're doing so well at sales? And yeah. and then are they any good at management? I mean, or they're the best engineer or the best you know web mm-hmm. designer or whatever it may be has no relevance to them being a good manager. And That's right, and so. It's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. It's really a double-edged sword because, like you said, what if this is your best salesperson? Do you really want to take them out of the field? Yeah. Do you really want them to not be out there doing what they do the best and bring them inside? I mean, you want to reward them, but perhaps looking at a different different type of structure, different reward system, Mm -hmm. different 
uh, pay grade or uh, commission structure, different title, maybe that's the way to go. Maybe having them come into the office sometimes to help do training of your other salespeople, but maybe you don't really, you have to really think about, you have to really think about this because this needs to be very strategic. And for small, medium-sized companies too, I think they run into a lot of problems when you are promoting someone internally That and as you mentioned, they're now managing peers and mm-hmm. sometimes people can transition into that very well and there's not a problem. And sometimes even the best of people who are the most qualified ever, it just doesn't work because they're working with people who were previously peers. And I, I know one of the, the best examples of, of, of this is really comes from the military I've seen where, you know, somebody gets promoted and they immediately get moved to another, another group of people. That it, it seems like it's very, very rare for someone to be, you know, in, in, in a group and then suddenly become the sergeant, suddenly become in charge of that group. They tend to move them to another group so that they eliminate that peer-based issues that they have, uh, whether it's lack of respect or having a hard time uh, disciplining someone who's, who is your friend or whatever it may be. Uh, and small and medium-sized companies are definitely going to feel that pressure or feel the, the pains of those problems far more than a large organization where they may be would naturally move to a different department or, or naturally have those training mechanisms in place to deal with that. You're exactly right. Uh, whether it, you're, you're 100% right, definitely, about the military and even large corporations, they, you know, you can go to the, whether it's the military leadership school or it is a large corporate um, management uh, training program, and then typically you're moved out. Mm-hmm. You're moved out, you're diverted, and uh you start with a fresh group of people who you don't have those peer relationships with. But in the small to mid-sized businesses, that's, we're going to say, typically not the case. Right. You're promoted to solve a problem within the organization. There's a problem that exists. There's a, a vacant uh, management position or a newly created position, hopefully, and because of growth. Um, but you're left to work with the individuals who you went, you were partying with and you were probably chit-chatting, gossiping about the prior manager mm-hmm. or your coworkers. so many, just so many different scenarios. And now all of a sudden you have to turn the, you have to turn around. You have to, you know, really turn around and do a different thing. And that can lead to a breakdown in rapport. It can lead to mistrust. It can lead to, just so many different things. So it's very, it, it oftentimes, you know, I'm not saying it never turns out, because sometimes it turns out to be wonderful, um, but it's a really uh, something to consider deeply and to figure out the right way to make that transition if you're going to go that way. Yeah, and, and a lot of what you're talking about is it's kind of impacts on, on company culture, which is something that, you know, we like to talk a lot about here on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, how important do you do you see the alignment of culture uh, contributing to, to what we're talking about right now, to the overall success of the company? Well, I, I mean, I feel like it's a symbi- symbiotic kind of a existence, right? Um, when you consider the company culture, the, the alignment of that culture and the success of the company, I mean, people need a culture that they can thrive in in order to do their best work, to feel their best, to um, not suffer from some of the things that we see in employment situations which have resulted in all these wellness programs being implemented and 
again, in larger companies, but not necessarily in smaller companies, uh, to try to deal with the stresses at work, not only the workload or the um, difficulty of the work. That's certainly something we always have to take into consideration. But when you have cultural when you have cultural difficulties on top of that, that can really crush things. And so making sure that your culture is one of design um, versus one that your employees design, because that can happen too, you know. If you don't create the culture, if you don't build the culture, foster it, it will design itself. Yeah. The, hey, there, there's always culture. It's just whether or not there it's the is. culture there's you want. There's always culture. You can, <laughs> that's right. It, it was going to be good or bad or indifferent, whatever it's going to be, but it, it'll be there somehow. Mm-hmm. So it really needs like a shepherd. It needs uh, fostering in order for it to grow healthy, remain healthy, continue to grow. So uh, it is it is vital. And, yes, culture is like a big buzzword today, right? And it doesn't need to be this big, complicated thing. It just needs to be a good thing. Right. What are you generally seeing when you're seeing these different cultures or different companies that you're working with or you're, you know, uh, observing? And are there there maybe particular things that you see good companies always doing? Uh, You know, I mean, every culture is different, every company is different, but there there tends to be a couple kind of monumental things that maybe we can point to sometimes that what are good companies doing? Do you have any of those thoughts? Well, you know, again, because I do pay attention, a lot of attention, uh, to industry trends and and to workplace trends. And so, you know, I know what the big tech companies are doing for their employees, why their employees love working there. I know that it is, very, it is a lot more difficult, you know, for smaller to mid-sized companies, you know. And the small to mid-sized companies are the companies, of course, that don't have the big budget to put in the big free-to-eat employee cafe and the basketball courts and the gym, free gym memberships and the company outings and the cru- cruises every year for the best employees. These are some things that come with larger budgets, but on a smaller basis and even on a big basis, there are some very basic fundamentals that companies should be doing. And this isn't about the final reward. This isn't about what the culture looks like. This is about identifying what it is. And this is this is the basis, this is the foundation. And so asking associates, asking your employee base, you know, what the culture is, you have to identify what it is. And by asking them through whether it's the ESAT and employee satisfaction survey, whether it's through conducting focus groups, whether it's through one-on-one conversations, depending on how big your company is, you're going to find trends. If you ask everyone the same type of questions, you'll find trends. And then uh, once you identify what the current culture is, having meetings and never forgetting to have employees of every level on your on your team when you're figuring this out. Uh, you cannot just have the C-suite on this team to figure out what the culture should be because you may not be, you're not in the trenches, you're not, you're not down to earth when you're at that level. You're, you're not doing the day-to-day that the majority of your employees are doing. So you may not even have that great of an understanding of what it is. And so making sure that you have employees of every level uh, on this team is, is so very important uh, to try to talk about are there things we'd like to tweak? Are there th- areas of improvement that we would like to work on? Is everything just great the way it is? Most times you'll find that there are 
very few things are just great the way they are. Sometimes they are, but usually there are areas for improvement. So taking a look at what those areas are and then talking about what could be done within the corporate budget, within the budget, um, things don't necessarily always have to have a dollar tag, uh, a, a price tag, I'm sorry, attached to them. Obviously, time is money, and so time is attached, but we don't have to buy everyone a new car, you know. Right. This is, some of these things are, are pretty basic. So make it, And then creating this strategic alliance, and this strategic alliance needs to have the right people in the room, which include human resources, marketing, the C-suite, and depending on how big your company is, is going to depend on how many divisions or departments you have. So I obviously I can't name all of them. But you need to have the major departments, and hopefully all departments represented on this team, along with a cross-section of employees of every level, to kind of hash this out and find out, you know, what is our culture, where can we improve, and what are some of the things that we can do to improve. Well, and it seems like you, you're certainly uh, well-versed in this, and it's something you, you, you stay on top of. So I'm wondering if you're some of some of what you where you get all this uh, is is from reading and from uh, really you know seeing what other authors or people who are leading in the industry are talking about. So you know, one of our favorite questions to ask our our guests is, you know, what are you reading right now, and can you tell us about that? Interestingly, uh, I'm reading a lot of books at the same time. I typically do that, and it takes me a long time to read them because I am I'm not able to devote um, a lot of time to reading, but I do like to read on a frequent basis. Stan Phelps, the author of What's Your Purple Goldfish? How to Win Customers and Influence Word of Mouth is the most recent uh, thing that I have started to read. And actually, uh, he has offered that. That was a free download on Amazon, by the way. But customer service is something that I believe everyone in an organization, every level of employee from every department, whether or not you see external customers, I think that customer service is a foundational um, training that everyone should have in an organization because you are dealing with internal and external customers. And if you do not have that as a good foundation, you, you're going to have interpersonal issues, a lot of, you know, conflict and things like that. And and so I'm a big fan of anything customer service oriented. Well, Carla, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Uh, can you, uh, if people are interested in finding out more about you and uh, the work that you do, how can they uh, get a hold of you? Well, it's been, a, it's been my pleasure, actually. Thank you very much um, for this opportunity. I think probably the easiest way to get a hold of me uh, would be to perhaps visit my website where I have all of my social links for whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you know, various ones. Uh, and that's my name. It's CarlaPorter.com, and that is Carla with a K, K-A-R-L-A-P-O-R-T-E-R.com. Well, fantastic. We'd love to have you come back and give us an update on uh, what you're doing and uh, uh, how things are going over on your end some, uh, at some point in the future. So we'll uh, hope to circle back with you. And again, uh, thank you for uh, for joining us today. Thanks again. My pleasure. Uh, so Steve uh, Danley is coming up next after this quick commercial break. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. 
When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net. Uh, of course, you can also uh, visit talenttalkradio.com and uh, hear all the past shows. We now have with our podcast uh, just about 20,000 people that are subscribed and listening. So if you're listening right now in your, in your car, on the treadmill, or wherever you may be uh, after the show's already been posted, we really appreciate your support. My guest, uh, my next guest is uh, Steve Daly, the Chief Human Re- uh, Human Resources Officer of the County of Orange. Uh, don't forget to uh, tweet your questions live for him right now uh, by sending them to at peopleg2 and using that hashtag, hashtag excuse me, uh, talent talk. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. So, tell us a little about yourself, your background, uh, maybe how you ended up uh, working for the County of Orange. Well, I'm a local guy. Grew up in Anaheim. Um, Graduated from UCI with a master's degree in business and public administration. Uh, I've got quite uh, a variety of interests. It's uh, kind of always kept me busy in a number of areas. Uh, I've loved sports, so for the past 30 years, uh, I've been a uh, basketball referee, NCAA and high school referee. Had some fun with that. Uh, community service on a local uh, hospital patient family advisory board. Uh, in the education area, uh, I intermittently serve at UCI as a uh, lecturer, 
uh, for a business and government class. And then on the work side, uh, I, I started with uh, UPS, uh, putting myself through uh, college, working at night, and then uh, finally uh, got an internship at the county uh, through a friend that had, had called me. I, I didn't expect to stay there forever, but I have. I've been right. there 32 years, uh, moved around a lot, uh, and it's been a, uh, I'd say, a deliberative process of trying to get a lot of uh, line and uh, uh, administrative experience. So uh, my resume is kind of unique in the way I've bounced around in different places. Uh, I've been the HR manager for several county departments. Uh, been a regional landfill manager for two of our county landfills uh, in Brea and uh, Irvine. Uh, been the director of administration for the public works district attorney and waste management departments. Uh, chief of organizational assessment and development in the CEO's office. Uh, recently, I was the county's first performance audit director, and right now I'm the county's chief human resources officer. So uh, it, it may appear that I, I'm having a hard time holding the job, but it's all fit with the county. Well, and uh, I think it's going to be fascinating today to, to really get your perspectives on maybe some of the differences, or we, w- we might pick up on some of the things that are a little different about working within the public environment versus the private Um and maybe also we'll find out why you like to get yelled at so much if you're a referee <laughs> and you work in human resources. So, <laughs> well, that, That's actually why I gave up refereeing two years ago okay. when I got the HR job. <laughs> in fact, I bought a tape uh, uh, that I would put in my car at night after the games saying, uh, hey, somewhere someone loves you. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you stepped in the role as the CHRO uh, in May of 2012, and you just kind of come up on two years in this position. Can you talk a little bit about a couple of the greatest challenges that you've had to face and maybe as well as come a couple of things that have gone really well for you in the county so far? You know, in in terms of uh, challenges, the biggest challenge has been to try to transform the human resources department. Uh, I was in a rather unique situation um, as the county's performance audit director. Uh, my team was asked to do an audit of the HR department. And when we did that, uh, we found a number of deficiencies. In fact, there were so many in such important areas that a lot of it made the local, state, and sometimes national media. Mm. And so after that was done, a short time later, the, the human resource director retired, and I was asked to take that job. It was a surprise that they asked me to do it, but uh, I have an HR background, so I went ahead and, and did it. Now, you can imagine your first day on the job, you're the guy that just audited us and said there's a lot of problems <laughs> And now you're in charge. Right. So, so you know, right out of the gate, you had the, how do you develop rapport and trust with a group yeah. of people that you just audited? This is what usually happens in a volunteer organization. You tell everyone how they're messed up, and they say, great, you go fix it. Here you go. You're in charge, right? That's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from there, and the first thing is we had a, in, our, in the county, we have 25 separate departments, and you've got uh, law enforcement, social services, health care, general government, um, and each one of those 25 departments are really a, a, a separate company uh, or a separate division in a company. Right. It'd be like having 25 different subsidiaries. And so, you know, each department had its own HR team that reported right up through their director of their department. So, you know, you can't really manage an HR function in a decentralized environment in that fashion unless you've got some real good oversight. So people are doing HR the same way throughout the mm. company. So right. that's what we didn't have. That was part of the big problem is each department were doing things uh, in 25 different ways. And so how do you get a hold of that and, and bring it in? So one of the first things we we decided to recommend to the Board of Supervisors was, look, we've got to, to centralize this. And 
um, put together a plan for how we would go about doing that, and that way to get control back over uh, HR and get things done on a consistent basis, and to to make sure that we're in compliance with all the local, state, federal regulations. So uh, we've done that. Um, We've also laid a new strategic foundation for uh, the department and where we're headed. Um, So That kind of lets you put in best practices. It lets you... Uh, I'll probably even learn some things or maybe grab some things from other departments. Maybe there's, talk about those, almost like having different, 25 different divisions. I mean, someone else might be doing something really cool, but if you don't know about it, you know, I mean, there, there's a level of things you have to do. There's, there's laws, there's compliance, but then there's also things that are, that are really good, that are just good ideas, right? They're just cool things that, that sometimes HR can do to motivate people, to help people, to get them connected and, uh, it sounds like if you have a better idea of what's happening, you're kind of instituting a plan top down, but you're also going to start getting that feedback and be able to take great things. Was that starting to happen as, as you started to, to kind of move everyone to this you know, centralized plan? Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, you know, we found not only the negative, but we also discovered the positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when we were trying to reinstitute things on a, on a kind of way basis, the first thing we would ask is, okay, who's doing it really well? And we would always find one or two departments that had had done something very well, and we were able to take the best of each place and develop uh, it on a countywide level. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and, and it has happened frequently. So instead of ending, ending up with twenty five different processes, you maybe end up as one really great process that everyone can share and, and know. And I think people, as we talked about before, you know that I, I pay taxes, and people want people to be efficient and stuff, but. You brought that in, right? So you probably cut a lot of waste, probably cut a lot of things that didn't need to be happening. But for the people who actually work in those departments, this probably was a lot better process for them. You know, so many of them are are our neighbors or our citizens in our community. Their job satisfaction and their processes probably went way up based on what you did. Uh, for the, we've been doing this for. We've been centrally got approved. We've been centralized for a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. So yes, we've had a lot of those improvements, and a lot of things are working better. But you know, I, I, to be honest, we still have a long way to go. Sure. So um, things are are going. You'd, you'd be on your next job if you didn't have a lot more way to go, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now this, you know, there's a uh, statewide organization for the uh, human resources directors. There's 58 counties in the state. Right. So. There's a handful of people who have done the same thing, had decentralized, realized it was a mistake, brought it back in, mm-hmm. and they said it takes about three to five years to change the whole process, the culture, right. get it going. So we're in uh, the uh, 16th month right. you know, part of the process. So you know, speaking of, of culture, what do you say drives the, the County of Orange from a culture standpoint? Uh, you know, we have a, a defined culture. We've got a mission statement. Uh, we've got our, our business values, cultural values. That's it's written down, and, and so that's not the issue about whether people know what it is. It's really more: like, is it just a set of written pronouncements, or is it something that that we're using on a daily basis? And over the past year, countywide, we've started to to focus more on making it a daily thing that's part of what you do every day rather mm-hmm. than just seeing it on the wall. So right. um, we've had a lot of change in the last year in the county, a lot of new people, a lot of new places, and we're really um, trying to, to to do what we say that we're about. Right. You know, uh, I really feel like people who go into these jobs that the county probably is, you know, overseeing or, or manages, 
at some level, you've, you've got to want to do it because you want to make a difference in your community, because you enjoy, you know, making your community better. Uh, you might start doing it because it's a cool job. I mean, there's things like being a lifeguard or, you know, there's, the, you know, cool jobs and then there's jobs that pay well, but you, you're never going to stick around with that, with everything that comes around with, with doing that job. And I think unless you really want to make a difference in community, is that how you view it? That's certainly the case uh, for me. Um, mm-hmm. The job is just too hard to do unless you have a real kind of thirst for public service. Right. Uh, in fact, you know, it drives me to at the same time. It's one of the things I have to really watch out because I'm really passionate about that. Is that are we providing a good service to the public that's out there? You know, everything we do um, in the public sector is subject to um, immediate media scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people, if they come to work, they'll never make the paper unless they do something really <laughs> bad or something really great. Right. Every single day that I go to the work, I can be in the paper. Mm-hmm. And it's happened. So yeah. y- y- you have to... you got to put that tape back on your car, right? Somebody left yeah, it somewhere. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and in HR, we, you know, we have the full gamut. You have recruiting. You have the good stuff. You know, mm-hmm. recruiting, classification, compensation. But you also have employee discipline. You have labor negotiations. You have... Training, development, all of those things. So, in the process of of doing those things for an organization that has around seventeen thousand employees, um, there's stuff that comes up every day. So, you really have to enjoy public service to to stay at it at this level for this long. So, would you say the company culture or the the culture? Let's maybe kind of dial it down a little bit. The culture within just human resources, right? For what you're doing, um, you may not be ultimately driving or uh, impacting yet the culture broader than that but was the culture where it needed to be when you started and was it just a matter of fixing the processes and, and and how you handle things or do you feel like over the last you know two years you've had to kind of work on that as well yeah we were far from where we needed to be both on how we did our work in the culture you know it was it, it was decentralized for 18 years and essentially they they lost their corporate soul each department was doing the things they were supposed to do. As I mentioned earlier, there was a lack of oversight from the central HR group. So we had to you know, bring all those best practices to bear to get that reinstituted. We had to retrain people. Um, there was, with that many years going by, there was a lot of people that were promoted in HR that really didn't have an HR background. There sort of became a sense like, anybody can do HR, uh-huh. you know, Hey, that's, you know, so let's hire somebody here to do this. They'll learn it. And mm-hmm. so after that long, the people who didn't really know it learned a little bit, but then the people retired above and they got promoted to the next right. level and they got right. promoted. So pretty soon you had a group of people that really didn't have the right HR background. So we've had to go in and retrain and change that culture from, Hey, just laissez faire, let people do what they want to, Hey, we have a mission. We have a, goals we're trying to uh, accomplish and we have got to get people to re-energized and refocused on on hr is an everyday thing and you've got to be involved mm-hmm. well and we've talked about on this show many times hr really has gone to a huge shift from being very tactical to being very strategic and, and, and this is a your example of what's going on in the county is a prime example of this i mean you may have had just tactics happening, 25 different places, and it didn't really matter maybe who was in there, what their training was, because all they had to do was have this form filled out or make sure this person had this or payroll got done. Or And now what you're talking about is be more strategic about it, uh, making sure that uh, 
mission statement, the goals, the culture is being pushed, the things are being done more efficiently and effectively, and you have the right people in place to really impact uh, your staff and, and the, the community at large. Yeah, I, I really, uh, because I was part of the group that did the audit, the audit was over 100 pages long. So we knew just about everything there was to know about what was going in HR on a countywide basis by the time we were done. It was a four-month process. Mm-hmm. So, And when we did it, we also laid out a blueprint for how we were going to strategically address the things that we found. So we already had a lot of that. And it allowed me to, to, to just start from day one, knowing what I wanted to do, knowing what mm-hmm. I wanted to accomplish. So then it was a matter of going back to the Board of Supervisors and said, okay, now here's an exact plan of what I want to do. Uh, consider it and approve it. So, you know, you're right. Everything has been strategic in what we've done. And if it wasn't, uh, it would have just been too, you know, herding cats, too many things going on with that, that big of an organization. Right. And we talked a little bit about the, the desire to, to be a public servant and to help your community. But is there anything else outside of that you think really contributes to someone being successful in their work uh, w- w- when they're employed by the county, kind of regardless of? Of where they sit as far as you know what their position is first it's probably important to define what we consider as success sure um for some people you know do you not ending up in the newspaper is that- well yeah actually that's uh <laughs> or if, if i was officiating making it home safely right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you know sometimes people define it outwardly like am i providing a good public service mm-hmm. sometimes they they define success inwardly uh, you know, I want to achieve a top job. Right. So, you know, how do you define that? We try to get them to define it on a outward basis about what you're accomplishing uh, for the community. Right. Uh, now, with that, you know, it, the public sector is not that much different in terms of success-wise, I think, than private. Uh, you still, you know, IQ, EQ, um, you have to have a sense for politics uh, and the environment you work at. And you also have a definable value-added skill that you need to bring to work yeah. every day. So, yeah. You know, those things are are pretty much the same. One of the interesting questions is maybe how, how do you encourage your HR managers kind of based on the, the system and process that you now have in place to really evaluate success? You know, are those people in those different 25 different divisions now, you know, being successful? So is that something you guys have started to think about and put in place? Yeah, you know, it's. It, I think it's like most places that, that really – care about your outcomes you, you know you need to accomplish your goals and achieve your mission so for us that's what i'm saying hey guys we're not randomly getting together to just do busy work mm-hmm. we have goals that we need to accomplish we've got uh, things that we need to do to uh, you know align with the mission of the organization and are the things that we're doing achieving those right so that's that's how we're t- trying to define success with our folks and, and i don't want aimless activity you know i i want people to, and we get back to public service too you know, there's a there's a stewardship responsibility that we we each have. It's just not the, the private company's money; it's the public's money. It's my money and our money together. Mm-hmm. So, we've got scarce resources, and we've got a, a fiduciary responsibility to make sure we we uh, spend those resources in the best way that we can for the citizens. So, for me, that's how we we measure results. And for and for me also, I'm big on results. Um, I'm not one of the guys that likes to just talk about things endlessly. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, I want something accomplished. I want something you can point to. Uh, you know, how many people do we hire? How many labor contracts do we do we get to? Are we holding people accountable for their performance? And do we lessen the risk exposure for the county by the way we do our business? Mm-hmm. And those are some really important things that you brought up because 
It's very, very easy for a private company to ignore all of the other things that are going on if they're profitable. Did we make money? Did did we do better than last year? And in many cases, if they say yes, all of the other sins are kind of wiped under the and, and almost ignored, right? And so, but you can't do that at the county. You, you guys aren't dealing with profits. That, that's not how you define yourself. And so the, the things that you mentioned are, are hugely important and having those different levels of achievement, different levels of measurement, probably maybe frustratingly for, for anyone who's working in the county is that if you do your job really, really well and things are going really, really well, probably nobody really notices from the public. I mean, they th- stop to think about it, yeah, they would, but who stops to think about did HR do a good job for the County of Orange as I'm driving home on the freeway today? It's not something they tend to maybe only think about it when there's a problem. Is that a challenge you guys have to deal with? Kind of that, or do you find ways maybe to educate the public at large about what's going well? I, I think that's a constant challenge that we, we deal with all the time. Uh, when I used to referee, I, you know, I got instantaneous feedback. <laughs> in the county, you you don't get instantaneous, but you get pretty close because mm-hmm. the media is focused every day on the the local government and news. So, right. so you've always got somebody watching what you're doing, and typically, you know, you read more about catching you doing something wrong versus catching you doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the public sector, we also, you know, in the reward structure that we have, we don't have the same ability like private sector to, hey, I, I want to give somebody a, a gym membership. I want to uh, give somebody, uh, uh, you know, money for a car. I want to do right. whatever. We have limited ways that we can go about compensating people. And usually when we do it, we have to treat almost everybody the same mm-hmm. in, in terms of labor contracts and stuff. So, sure. so yeah, we, we have, uh, it's always how do you reward people? How do you recognize their accomplishments? And uh, over the past, I think year we've been we've been putting some time in on that, both in the CEO's office and the the HR department, on what's the best way to do it. Now, interestingly enough, we did a survey at, at, uh, from people at work. They want lots of things, but the number one thing that came up was, "Hey, could I get an email that said, hey, nice job, congratulations?'" Mm-hmm. That it was as simple as that. Right. So, so you know, those are things that, hey. And that runs universal. Yeah. I mean, people spend all this money on trying to incentivize people and trying to get them to do more work by giving them a little extra money. That doesn't work. If their job is to pick something up, put it back down, or to, to, you know, do something very manual, that will work. You can get them to do a better job by giving more money. Anything else more complicated, they praise and, and in basic acknowledgement and recognition programs are far more effective. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting to... I think everybody does this, and it's, it's probably not the right thing to do, but the people who are doing really well, what do we do? We just give them more work. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Great yeah. job. Congratulations. Here's, yeah. here's a stack more yeah. for you to do. Yeah, you always do well, so do this, too. Right. <laughs> I wanted to find out from you, if you're kind of given the diversity of, of your career so far, do you think there's a particular skill that maybe really contributes to your role right now, but something you had to work on over time? Yeah, you know, there's it, it, interesting thing when, I was, when you're asking me that you, you think of the things that that you want to do better, and I re- just realized I thought of a couple things, but I also thought, hey, I still got a ways to go. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is for me is patience, um, diplomacy, having reasonable expectations. Uh, those things are 
something that you know, I'm always trying to get something accomplished. I'm always trying to get things done. I always want to set the bar high so people know what they're doing. Right. And and, and I don't have as much patience as I need um, sometimes to to put up with, for lack of a better word, nonsense. So, right. Right. Uh, you know, what I try to tell myself, if I start to feel a little bit of the emotions coming up, is saying, hey, stop for a second. What is it you're trying to accomplish? Is what I'm about to say or do going to help me get to where I want to go, or is it going to make it harder? Sure. So in that split second when you're trying to figure that out, that helps a lot to say, okay, there may be three ways to go about it, but what's the way to, to help me get to where I want to get to? But th- those are things that uh, that I've had to deal with on a personal level. And, you know, the better I get at it, the the higher you're able to raise in the organization and the more impact you can have. Well, that's a good approach because with 17,000 employees, there's some nonsense going on somewhere, no matter what organization you're overseeing. Well, when we have the the 25 different departments, I guarantee you that uh, <laughs> the, the the 2% that, that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, there's some fascinating stories in that. Oh, yeah. And in and, and any organization that's absolutely, you know, going to find it anywhere. So one of the our favorite questions to ask on this show is, uh, you know, are you, are you reading any good books right now? Something we might learn from? And maybe you can tell us about that. Yeah, I love to read. Um I'm mostly drawn to books about uh, what I would call the mysteries of life. And I don't mean it to sound esoteric or, or squishy. That's okay. We like squishy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I'm intensely practical. I want to know the truth or how things really work and, and sort of what purpose are we here for. Some of the books I, I've, I've been reading, once the other day I picked up called uh, Extraordinary Hearts. Now, that had some personal flavor to me. Uh, it was It's a heart surgeon back on the East Coast who talks about the heart surgeries he's done. And on some people with great backgrounds. And one of my buddies, a guy named Bill Vinovich, he's an NFL referee. He's, he's one of the White Hats. He's crew chief. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, aortic uh, valve uh, replacement surgery. Wow. And he's one of the guys that's a chapter of the book. So I picked it up to read about it. And I was fascinated at the procedure he had to go through and, and just how intense it was. So I, I read that. I had a good time with that. Another good book I just recently finished was uh, In Defense of Sanity. Um by G.K. Chesterton. It's a series of essays on a number of subjects. Not only is it, did I read it because his literary style is just so good. He's mm-hmm. just a great writer. But it has some timeless truths in it uh, that he, he uses in very practical levels. And then lastly, uh, uh, the, the Killing Kennedy, Killing Lincoln books. I read that uh, my uh, uh, stepsister is married to uh, a co-author. Uh, Bill O'Reilly's the author, and, and Martin Dugard is the uh co-author on the book and so i was just over their house for easter and uh okay. and so i gotta support marty <laughs> out there <laughs> and they're good reads so good. this was fun good. well yeah, you mentioned the, the short essays book i mean that's definitely if you have a if you're busy and 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 reading is not something you get to all the time a short essays book are usually really good ways to to to, to stay with it because you can read a shorter story uh i find that people who write those short essay stories tend to be viewed as very good writers, but I think it's because they kept it short. They kept the essay short. They didn't turn it into a 500-page book when really it was a 30- or 40-page you know, story. But um, th- those are really, really good places to start if you're if you're struggling. And of course, you can always go audiobook. I found myself to be almost completely audiobook now because I just don't have the time to read, but I have time when I'm driving in the car or going here or there to, to listen to the next book that I'm interested in. Yeah, the audiobook, especially if you're, if you're having a kind of a driving vacation you know Mm -hmm. those are fantastic i really enjoy that 
we typically uh, ask people how they can get a hold of you. I'm not sure if you want people to, to, to be calling you directly at the <laughs> County of Orange. So maybe we should say if they're interested in opportunities uh, with the County of Orange, how, how might they explore that? We have a website at uh, ocgov.com, ocgov.com, and it has primarily everything where you'd want to go in the county, including job opportunities and, and things like that, and, or to learn about the Board of Supervisors or each department. So that's a, that's a good way to, to get started, and we also have phone numbers on that list that, that people can contact because at the county level, we're sort of the, the regional service provider for the state. That Almost anything and everything you can think of, we do. We, we, we come after your taxes, but we also uh, want to give you a marriage certificate. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, and do some other good things for you. In a day and age when, when people are, are generally complaining about taxes, and uh, just about every politician's got tax fighter on their next to their name with the elections coming up, I think it's always good for people to remember how much we get and how many services and things that, that uh, you know, our, our governments uh, provide us. Uh, not to start a political debate here on the Talent Talk radio show, but... Uh, we definitely have get, get a lot of good things that uh, make our lives better. So, uh, Steve, it's been fascinating to have you on the show and really appreciate you being here. And I think we'd uh, really, really interesting to have you come back uh, at some point and get an update on your, on your plan and how things are going and, and maybe some of the nonsense you've had to deal with. In my job, I could probably talk endless amount of hours <laughs> on all kinds of subjects. And I just have to sort out which ones I can say, which ones right. I can't. Which one you're allowed to say, right? <laughs> yeah. So, allegedly, this one person did. You know, we yeah, exactly. We could have a few of those. <laughs> well, uh, that, that's about the time we have today. Thanks again to my guests, Carlo Porter and Steve Danley. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk brought to you by People G2. To hear Curtis Hughes, managing partner at C5 Insights, and Karen Morris, VP of Talent Acquisition at uh, Maven Link. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You were listening to Town Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. the premier rewards gold card from american express the rewards points can keep on multiplying by three with triple points on airfare by two with double points on gas and groceries and a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card then start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit axpgold.com the annual fee for the card is 175 dollars see terms conditions and restrictions at axpgold.com